So the sound wasn't perfect, but I hope you, you were able to hear that. And um, if you missed it, we will, I think we already have that video on our Facebook page. If not, we'll make sure it gets up there again. Um, so before I, I read the word, I gotta say something. I, one of the things I discovered after I sort of came here is how many missionaries East Glendale supports and how many people doing the Lord's work um, and how well they do, how much the budget is devoted to that. And you may not appreciate it, but most, there's many churches that barely are able to get anything. They, they spend all the money that comes into the offerings on keeping the church going. And this church is giving a significant, over 10%, away to missions and people serving the Lord. So we really want you to know the missionaries. And so we're going to keep trying to do videos like that in other ways, because I think it's important. And I think know that when you're getting to the church, you're not just keeping this congregation going. You're giving to have the, the word of God go throughout the place. And I'm excited that I'm, I'm almost, I want to see who that now. That looks kind of interesting. So, uh, so anyways, but this morning, we are here to engage God's word. We believe God has something to say to all of us through um, his scriptures. And so I, I hope you'll kind of trek along with me. Um, I do have the handouts with the passage. We're going to um, start in Mark 3, verse 20. And we're going to dig into this passage. I think that one that's a little sometimes confusing at times. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first finds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven and the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they are. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is God's word for his people today. May, may we tune into what the Lord would say to us. So in our passage, Jesus is under investigation by scribes, the religious leaders from Jerusalem. And I wonder, have you ever had an investigation, um, maybe like corporate, had to send people to, to your local workplace to make sure you were doing what you're supposed to, or you had to answer to a group of people from far away who came to... Uh, so, um, I'll, I'll just say, I faced one of those investigations once, and I had to stand before a group of religious leaders. Um, before you get too nervous, no big deal. Um, let me explain. So, 
We, I am a member of the 4C, so my full my ordained status as a pastor in the 4Cs, and this church is in the 4Cs, and those 4Cs are the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. Aren't you glad we just call it the 4Cs? By the way, there is a 3Cs. I have a friend who's a 3Cs pastor, some, some other name. So, uh, anyways, so that's who we are, and I'm glad to be a part of the 4Cs, but that's not where I started. I, uh, when I was working for Young Life, I did not have a denominational home. And when I left staff and went to go work for a church for the first time, I didn't have a natural home. And I, I chose a church that's a reformed background and worked as their youth pastor. And they were in a different denomination called the UCC, or the United Church of Christ. And I had learned that the UCC was fairly liberal, and um, but the church I was working for, you know, things were good with that, and, and I at one point thought I could be a pastor for this church, and so I sought ordination through the UCC and went through their process. And I realized I would be kind of evangelical among liberals, but I was okay with that. Like, I could handle that, you know. Um, Maybe I would be able to represent, you know, the evangelical mindset in a more liberal denomination. Um, eventually, I became the pastor of a different church in southeastern Ohio, and that's when I was actually officially ordained in the United Church of Christ. Um, I got involved in the leadership somewhat, joined some committees, and served the church that I was in. Um, but over time. I, I sort of realized the UCC was actually more liberal and progressive than I, I had realized. And when I'd go to meetings, the focus was almost always on social justice issues rather than on the teaching of, of the word and biblical faithfulness was not really much of a thought. And I was around that and eventually realized I need to connect with some more like-minded pastors. It was driving me nuts to come home from those meetings, always feeling like I was kind of a loner in that group. So I connected to some Four C's pastors. My brother happened to be a pastor in the Four C's, and actually, um, still surprising, him and I are both pastors from our family. Um, but anyways, I started going to their meetings, got to know like these guys, went to the annual gathering in Buffalo, New York, so uh, that's where I first started to think, maybe I should join this group. And so I did. I, I applied to become a 4C's pastor and um, was accepted. And so I went out school standing. I was still was UCC, but it was also 4C's. Well, when my church heard about my thing, and they also started to become frustrated with the, the progressive bent and the constant things that came out of UCC, they thought they wanted to change. And I, I thought, well, if you want to do it, you got to think it through. And we went through a whole discernment process and looked at reasons why. And then, you know, but in the end, they decided to leave the UCC. And eventually, they joined the four C's as well, but not at first. But uh, they, they actually held the vote while I was on vacation. So it was their decision. I made sure that they, they thought it through. Well, when that was done, the UCC wasn't so because um, now they lost the church, and they had been losing a lot of churches at that time. And, and so I was brought up on charge.
um, on how that all came about. And so they sent investigators to our town, and they they interviewed people about how the process happened and all of that. And they interviewed me, and they were very it was very much a process. It was a good process. It's fair. Um, eventually, I had to stand before the authorized ministry committee, which at one point actually I had been on, um, and explain what happened. And they there was a lot of tension in that. It was a so a bunch of religious leaders asking me, you know, why did I what I why did I take to set up their church out of the denomination? And, and so we talked. We had a good conversation, though it was definitely very tense because they were pretty upset. And in the end, they voted me out of, or they kicked me out of the UCC, is what it came down to. And so now I'm just a forces pastor, which is okay. I don't blame them. If you know they, it's probably the right thing to do. But um, but I'm glad I was in the forces because that has led me now to East Glenville Church in upstate New York. So. But I thought about that investigation. Looking, taking a close look and what's it like to be under that. And so last week, we talked about the five conflicts Jesus had with the religious leaders. And so maybe you might remember that, that you know, look at that. But those were the local leaders. Those were the religious scribes and Pharisees in Galilee, where Jesus was doing ministry. So we get the map up there. Well, and then what would happen next is, is that the what we looked at today are the religious leaders from Jerusalem. But and they come to investigate Jesus. So looking at the map, Galilee is up in the north. That is where Jesus did his ministry. And did his work around the Sea of Galilee. They're constantly getting on the boats. Um, you know, Nazareth is up there and all that. Well, the, the main part for the Jewish people was down in the south, in Judea. In fact, the word Jew comes from the word Judea, Judeans. And so, and Jerusalem was, of course, the main city of the Jewish people. So Galilee's kind of way up there up to the north. And, and it says that these religious these scribes came down from Jerusalem. Now, to me, it looks like it's up, right? Like, is it north up? If you go north from here, won't you go up in the mountains? Well, it was the opposite to that because Jerusalem itself was on a mountain. And so if you went into Jerusalem, you'd have to go up. So when you left Jerusalem, you came down to the other area. So they came down from Jerusalem just to see what Jesus was ministry was doing. They're going to investigate this. Likely they were almost an official group came sent by the, the hierarchy to, hey, check them out, give us a report. And so what would they have seen when they looked at Jesus' ministry? Two words. Crowds and chaos. So let's back up a bit to, to Mark 3. And this is on your reference verses in verse 7. Here's, here's how it describes what his ministry was like at this point. It says, Jesus withdrew his disciples with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre. So people came from everywhere to, to be around Jesus. And it says, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat 
ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. So the crowds are so thick that the Jesus needs to use the fishermen's boats uh, as a buffer, lest, uh, lest they crush him. Like they're, they're pressing around. There's so many hurt and sick people that have heard about Jesus' healing power. They want to be near him. They want to find him. And they, they, they can't help but want to get close and get, get be a part of that. And so Jesus has to use a boat, one of the buffers, so he can talk to the crowds. And then sometimes even as a escape lane, so they'll get the boat and go to the other side of the sea to get away from the crowds for a period of time. So it would have been huge crowds. And also, complete chaos. Jesus invited hurting and needy people to be around him. People that had problems in their lives. Some of those people were, were under the control of demonic influences. So back to Mark 3, in verse 11, it says, um, the, the, he, he healed many, the diseases, they pressed around to touch him, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Imagine, like, we're not very crowded together because of COVID, we're, we're spaced out somewhat. But imagine if all of a sudden people would start standing up and saying, You are the Son of God, and start yelling in the middle of a teaching time. That would feel pretty chaotic. That's, those are the kind of things happening around Jesus. Those are the things that the investigators would have seen. Um, we see that to be around Jesus was not a calm and orderly experience. Crowds and chaos. Crazy things happen all the time. So, our passage started today. Um, it says that the Jesus and the disciples weren't even able to eat. So many things were happening that they couldn't sit down and have a meal because the, the people were coming and going. And so his family came to him. And what did they, they determine? It says when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, to take charge of him, basically. For they were saying he's out of his mind. Well, that's a pretty serious thing. Who, who's the family? Well, likely this would have been James, the, the brother of Jesus, uh, who would have led this charge. So I know we have some people of Catholic backgrounds in here. This is one of those areas where Catholics and Protestants disagree. So I've had uh, people of Catholic background, brother, brother of Jesus, and that doesn't sound right. So, so Mary and Joseph had more children after Jesus. But in the under Catholic teaching, they'll teach that um, Mary remained a perpetual virgin, and that when it says brothers and sisters, it really means cousins. Or maybe they were stepbrothers from a previous marriage by Joseph. So aside from that, Protestants, we just say that Mary and Joseph, after Jesus, had more children as James and Jude, and I think a few others. That'll actually come later in Mark 6. But James would have been the next oldest. So when Jesus would have taken off, he would have been, in a sense, the family leader. Um, when Jesus began his ministry, James would have been the one. And, but it also speaks of Mother Mary being in this too. It says later they came to, to see Jesus. And Jesus had to distance himself from his family because they were trying to take charge of him. And instead he said, those 
who, who follow God, who, who are doing the will of God, who are learning and to, to follow me and be my disciple, that's my mother and brother and sister. So there was some tension there between Jesus and his family with all that's going on. So his family says, he's out of his mind. What, what about these scribes from Jerusalem? What's, what's their verdict? What official conclusion after they see all that Jesus is doing, what do they think about him? Well, they say he is possessed by Baal They said the power that enabled him to do all this is the prince of demons. So who's Baal What's this about? Well, Baal is the Greek version of Prince Baal. Baal was one of the gods of the Canaanites. And so, if you look at the Old Testament, one of the, the false gods that the Israelites are lured into worshiping is Baal. In fact, if you go back to Elijah's ministry, that was the great competition between the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Yahweh the Lord. And so, Baal um, was this false god in the Old Testament. But what the people of God slowly started to determine, that it wasn't just that he was a false god, but that there was some real spiritual power behind Baal worship. And that that power came from God's ancient enemy. And so in a sense that Baal was not just, you know, the stone image, but it was the enemy of God at work trying to lead God's people astray. So when they say Baal, they say he's the prince of demons. Jesus just says, uses the word Satan. It's God's ancient enemy. He's at one time who was an angel um, who served with God, but then turned against God and fell. And now has a legion of minions who came with him and are working to wreak havoc in this world. Um, but these aren't cute little minions. Instead, they are, are um, unclean spirits, spiritual powers at work that lead people astray and do damage in people's lives. Their main power lies in deception and temptation in their lives. And Jesus had been confronting these minions. Every time he's interacting with people who are under their authority, he, he casts them out. The power in Jesus is so much greater than these piddling little minions that are about. Um, because Jesus has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Back in Mark 1, it says when Jesus was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him and filled him. So Jesus had authority as the Son of God. But he was also the active power working through him was God's Holy Spirit. And, it's, um, and so the investigation committee comes from Jerusalem. They see the work of God's Spirit in Jesus. And what conclusion do they come to? Uh, that's, that's, that's an evil spirit. That's even the spirit of Satan. They see the healings, the miracles. They see people set free. And they say, ah, oh, this is obviously the devil. How will Jesus respond to the charge that he's in league with Satan? 
Three things. First, he gives a logical argument. So he goes on to say, how can Satan cast out Satan? He, he said, does, this, does this make sense that it's Satan's power? If a kingdom is divided against itself or fighting against itself, how can that kingdom stand? Right? How can that ever work? A, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. It doesn't make sense that, that this is Satan driving out demons. That means there's a civil war taking place in his, and his kingdom is going to come to an end. So, so for those in high school or maybe middle school, are you taking, you, if you're taking U.S. history, let's see if you can answer this question. Which U.S. president quoted Jesus in a famous speech he quoted that the house divided against itself. Now, I, I, I want to hear from the high school kids. Just, we're going to test our educational system here in, in the area. Does anyone, can anyone, you can yell out, which, which, which president? Men and women, in other words. 
He says, even the blasphemies they utter can be Jesus is not defensive. Right? He understands that people are going to struggle to understand who he is and what he's about. And he says, God, if someone is investigating God and, they, and Jesus and they, they, they don't get it at first, he's not going to hold that against them if later they come and come to faith. Right? He's not going to use their, their, their words of skepticism against them when, when a change of heart has taken place. That can all be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What is that about? And I want to think about this for a minute because I have encountered people who have thought that they have committed the unforgivable sin and therefore cannot be saved, are destined to, to go to hell because um, they somehow committed this sin and it's over for them. And so I want to explain what it is. This is not Jesus teaching that you can accidentally fall into sin against the Holy Spirit by something you say. All, all blasphemies can be forgiven. But what it's saying is to think about how does forgiveness come to our life? How are we forgiven of our sins? What active power does that? It's the Holy Spirit. Right? Um, says in Titus that he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus Christ came to pour out the Holy Spirit, but if because we have a hardened and obstinate heart, and we refuse, we shut out from our lives the very thing that can save us, that can bring that forgiveness, then we're shutting out forgiveness. That is the unforgivable sin. It's because to, to say no to the work of God's Spirit to, 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 to bring that forgiveness into our lives. And that's what the Pharisees and the scribes were in danger of doing. They saw the, the healing and the work of God's Spirit through Jesus, and they said, well, it's an evil spirit. We don't want that. They were shutting out the Holy Spirit. They were in danger of, of, that, of not allowing God's, God to bring a change into their lives. That's what this unforgivable sin is talking about. An obstinate heart that will shut out the Holy Spirit cannot experience the cleansing of forgiveness. Um, they sent their investigators to figure out who Jesus is. What I want to tell you today is that every person has to have their own investigation. Every person has to make a decision about how they will respond to Jesus Christ. They will have to investigate for them. That includes people who grow up in church, who believe in God, and learn to do good things. They will still have to make a, come to a decision about where they stand with Jesus. Think about this. Those investigators, they believe in God. They were active in religion, and yet they still came to the wrong conclusion. Jesus. What you believe about Jesus affects everything else in your life. 
He is the one name given under heaven by which men and women can find salvation. So you can have all the other religious components. You can believe in a God above. But until you respond to Jesus, you're going to be missing out on, on the plan that he came to bring. And notice what they said. This family said he's out of his mind. He's a lunatic. The, the religious leaders said he's, he's, un, he's, you know, Satan, he's a liar. Where his followers looked at Jesus and said, he's the Lord. He's the one I'm going to follow. C.S. Lewis talked about that's the, the three conclusions you can come to about Jesus. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. He did all these miracles by convincing people. He was a liar. He was actually um, came under the power of, of God enemy and is tricking people. For he really is the Lord. That he's the one that, that came and gave his life for our salvation. And has now been raised from the dead and ascended to the throne and has been declared Lord of all. Where do you stand with Jesus? That's the decision every human has to make. The second part of the investigation. You have to receive the free gift of forgiveness. I love how it says, and Jesus he says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Jesus came to deal with our sins. It's not our sins that keep us from God. When we own up to them and lay them before God, they will be forgiven. Um, even if we've been skeptical of our lives and said bad things about Jesus or God in the past, he's ready to forgive and restore us and give what we need. It's really as simple as ABC. Admit. Admit that we, we don't have it all together. That we are sinners in the universe. That on our own, our life is, is not what it should be. Believe. Believe in the Son of God who gave his life and, and died for our sins and was raised again. Believe in Jesus as Lord. And then lastly, is simply come on in. Receive it. Come on in to God's people and become one of his followers. A, B, C. That's what Jesus is offering for any person here today. The third aspect, that, though, is put your trust in God's Holy Spirit. The active way Jesus is, is responding to us is through his Holy Spirit. It says he's, he came to, to, to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that, that conveys the forgiveness. It's the Holy Spirit that sets us right with God the Father. It's the Holy Spirit that brings God's presence into our lives. But here's what they need to know. The Holy Spirit is not me. What comes with him is chaos and craziness in context. Um, I think following, following deciding, deciding on to follow Jesus is a, is a complete adventure. Um, you're, you're trusting God's Spirit to lead you. And if he, if he does, he's going to lead you to some uncomfortable place. I, I was thinking about how when I was young and foolish, I had a, a middle school all night at the local YMCA. Um, and we expected about 30. We had to stop counting at one point. I have no idea how many kids actually came through that door. All I know is I kept calling Domino's Pizza to order and order and order. Uh, I think we're going to need another five pieces. Can we do that? And, and it was out of control. 
control. They were kidding every nook and cranny in this old, old lion's cave building. And my, my only goal was to prevent murder. And, uh, well, murder and pregnancy. So, uh, I mean, I was just wandering around the whole time making sure there wasn't a thing happening that shouldn't have been happening, you know, in that locale. And, um, who knows how if God used that in some way to touch a kid's life or maybe we did have a message, but uh, I, all I remember is the next day, um, you know, we tried to clean up that end, but uh, the YMCA director called me into his office and grieved me, and I'm sure I deserved it. Like, we, we just did, it was bad. Um, but that's what you sign off for when you sign up for Jesus. He will lead you, and, and there could be things that are out of control. He, he knows what he's doing. He's, worth, he's not a pain God, but he's worth it. The last part is prepared to be misunderstood. Jesus has often been misunderstood. What, what causes people to, be, to misunderstand Jesus? Obviously, back then they said he's, he's, built, he's doing this by the power of Satan. Um, I, I think I'm sympathetic to skeptics. Uh, especially skeptics in, in this day and age. If you think about what they've seen in the media as through church, like they've seen televangelists who, who use their faith to make money. They've seen scandal after scandal um, throughout the church. I can understand why they're looking at, at Jesus and saying, I don't know. And it's, it's going to be hard for us to think to take a closer look. And we need to be prepared to be misunderstood as we sign on as, as one of Jesus' followers. It's okay. We don't need to get into it. I remember the first time my faith was challenged in college. And I got really defensive. And I, I, I think the professor had to like calm us down because we were going to be, there was going to be an argument. And I, I slowly tried to learn it's okay people are skeptical. We can still win them over. Says in um, 1 Peter 3, I think this is the, the, the thing, neither hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Just make that decision for yourself. Jesus, you're my Lord. Whatever happens, I'm, I'm on your side. Then it says, then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We may get misunderstood, but if we're, if we're trusting in God, He can give us the answers that we need at that time. The ability to answer those questions. Three questions for you. Have you ever seriously investigated Jesus and His message? Have you ever looked into it? Yourself? And thought I do have a recommendation. There's a, a book called The Kings for Christ. If you're trying to figure this out, I would invite you to, to, to tune into that first. Um, secondly, second question, would you agree that I'm the Holy Spirit can feel crazy and chaotic at times? Do you have your own story of when, when the Holy Spirit led you somewhere and it wasn't where you're expecting to go? And then third, if someone asked you why you follow Jesus, would you be able to Lord Jesus, we trust in you. And, and we thank you that you are patient.
but those who, who are skeptical, who don't know you enough to, to trust you yet. Lord, help us also have patience as we who know you and love you. May, may you use us to show um, your grace and love within this world. May you enable us to, to have that same grace and patience with others that you've had with us. And may the name of, of, of Jesus be glorified through this, this fellowship. We pray in Jesus' name.